The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould. And I'm very excited to introduce to you my special guest and very close friend, John Davis. John is, without a doubt, one of the most respected producers in Hollywood. He's been a producer on more than 88 feature films and movies for television that have earned more than $4 billion worth worldwide. And as a producer, John has worked on some hugely successful films like Predator Films, the Dr. Doolittle Films, iRobot, Behind Enemy Lines, Courage Under Fire, Daddy Daycare, Mr. Popper's Penguins, and Gulliver's Travels. It would take hours, John, for me to go through your brag book, but I just want to say welcome to A Current Life. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, it's always, I've always been a huge fan of your work, uh, and I'm very honored that you've made the time and your busy schedule to join us today. It's really a privilege and an honor to have you. I've, uh, uh, not only have I followed your career, but we've become close uh, and personal friends, and uh, it's been a real pleasure to watch quality work that you've put up on the screen. Um, well, hanging out with you, Jimmy, is more fun than making movies. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. We'll, uh, we'll continue to do that on the back nine, as we say, so we'll have some fun still. I want to start, we always start off the show with a segment called The Early Years, so that our listeners, because this is really a show about the journey, it's not so much achieving at the top, but really the... Uh, the road that, that people travel to get to a successful conclusion, not only professionally but personally. And so I kind of want to start off by asking you what you were like as a little kid growing up. I think it was outside of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I was a huge football fan. Um, I used to watch um, the Denver Bronco games with my dad. I went the very first year the Broncos became an AFC team. And that's why living in California, I can still – feel a loyalty to the team and watch and kind of get excited. I loved movies. Um, my family owned a movie theater in the neighborhood where we lived. They owned a twin, which at that time, a twin theater was kind of an innovation. Um, and I saw lots and lots of movies. I saw maybe 250 movies a year from when I was 14 on. Um, and I grew up in the Midwest. Denver felt like the Midwest to me. And I always wanted to be in a bigger city. I always wanted to be like in New York or Los Angeles, and I, I remember coming to Los Angeles as a kid, and I said, someday I'm going to live there because I don't want to be cold anymore. I used to walk a mile to the bus every day, <laughs> and the idea of being in a warm, you know, pretty place year-round, that to me was really appealing. Now, now your father purchased the neighborhood movie theater, right? And you actually started off selling popcorn and, I guess, watching hundreds of the movies in the theater every year, right? 
Well, my sister sold popcorn, um, but I certainly got to see all the blind bidding prints. So when they would bring a movie out, a lot of uh, theater owners got to see the movie first before they had to make a decision whether to play it. So I got to see movies early. And I saw the movies there, and sometimes I'd see a really good movie three, four, five times. I remember playing against Sam. I probably saw that movie 12 times. I so love that. It was an opportunity for me without knowing someday I would go in the movie business to really start to study what made good story and, and why I liked films and, and, and who you know, great directors were that interested me. And, and so you know, without knowing I would ever use this, I was giving myself an education for the future. When, when when kids were, I know when I was going through school, I had two passions. One was to be a baseball pitcher, and the other was to make movies. I mean, those were my two passions, and everybody in my family were lawyers, so they kind of felt I would be a lawyer. And I went off to college, and the first thing I did was form a film company and make a movie and lost all my money because I signed a net profit deal. I'll never forget that. And uh, you obviously started off, really learning the trade by being uh, uh, effectively a distributor or certainly an exhibitor. Um, you know, I assume that that experience really taught you a lot about the quality of, of, of films as well. You know, I've always gone with my gut in terms of movies. What do I want to see? And those are the movies I make. And I've always assumed if I want to see it, then a lot of other people probably want to see it. And so that's kind of always guided me. What really fascinates me, what kind of stories really entertain me. Um, and, and that's really kind of been my guiding, you know, decision-making and in, in, in kind of what material I'm going to attach to and what things I'm going to develop and what I want to do. Well, you know, like, like you, Jimmy, I always said there are two things I want to do in life. I either want to go into sports or movies. Well, you went, I know you went, uh, you went to Bowdoin College and then you went to Amherst and then you went on and received an MBA from the Harvard Business School uh, it sounds like you were covering all the bases so that you really understood the business of film as well as making a film and everything else. How did all of that kind of pull together as you were going through your early years and into college? Because I think it takes a lot of people. I mean, I always had my passion, but I was kind of pushed in different directions and fought hard to keep my passion. And eventually I didn't become a baseball pitcher because I injured my arm, but I did make some movies. I wouldn't say that they were along the lines of the ones you do. I'm still waiting to, for my invitation from you to either have a cameo or a co-producer title with you. Uh, well, I can take your money anytime you want to and uh, teach you how to well, invest again. Well, um, and, I, and I won't give you net profits. I'll give you something a teeny bit better. Um, Thank you. When I was in college, when I was at Bowdoin, I took a course in the history of film criticism taught by this professor, Barbara Castor. Um, and it kind of re-enlivened my love of film, and, and I made a film for that course, and they had a thing at the end of the year in that course where everybody made films, and and the films went into a festival at the school, and the best picture was picked and, and, and whatever. And, again, that was one of those experiences studying the history of film um, that gave me another perspective um, and, and film technique and style and, and cinema in different, in, in different countries. Um, uh, but when I was in business school, um, I wasn't 100% sure what I was going to do with my life. Um, and we were all interviewing at all these conglomerates and investment banks and, um, uh, um, you know, other kinds of firms, other kinds of business firms. And everybody was trying to decide who they were going to, you know, go to work for. And I just remember sitting down having clarity one night. I'm going to 
do what I love to do. And so I'm either going to figure out how to get into movies or sports. Um, that's going to be my career path. That's the way I think you make a decision. And kind of I had two options, and, and I followed, you know, one of them. Let's talk about that clarity because I think, you know, this is a show about the journey, and, and there's so many people, you know, today out of work and struggling and, and losing hope. And, I, you know, I think you and I would share the view that movies bring people you know, into a different place and allow them to dream and believe and have faith. And you're particularly good at that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit in the next segment about your love of animals and what you went through with some of your films uh, with the penguins and with the uh, grizzly bear. But, you know, in particular, that clarity you re- you talk about, it takes some people lifetimes to even understand what that means. And, and how do you, what do you think was the wow moment that got you to that clarity? Look, you... You know, I think it comes down to you can live to work or work to live, right? Right. And so it's just understanding yourself well enough to understand what your passion in life is um, and then turning that passion into your career. And then you're really not ever really working hard. When you're working really hard, you're doing what you love, so you can work really, really, really hard. Um, You know, I still love making movies. I still love the process of finding material. I still love working with writers and actors and directors. You know, I can work seven days a week. I can read seven or eight scripts on the weekend. I always have weekend homework. I always have scripts to read. I feel like my kids, I'm back in school again and all that stuff. But it never gets to be too much for me, no matter how much pressure I'm going through, no matter how much work there is to do, because I'm actually doing something that I find fascinating, entertaining, and fun. Um, And I think, to me, that's the best way to organize a life. Everybody knows what they're passionate about. Um, it's like, how do you turn that passion into something you can do the rest of your life and, and, and make key, a living out of it? I think the key is the fact that a lot of people, all of us are born with the intuition and the gut, and that passion comes from really standing your ground and believing and looking inside, and you were able to do that. I, I wonder in our younger generation whether people, whether our, you know, we both have families we're raising, whether... Uh, you know, we're able to instill in them in this information age, you know, that passion and, and whether or not it, there's too much of an overload. What's your, what are your thoughts about that? Look, it's a really bad economy right now. I think we all know that. And I think that, um, you know, it's not so bad in New York or L.A., but it's really bad in between. Um, you know, um, I have a TV station in, in Wisconsin, Wausau, Wisconsin, I know how tough it is locally there. I know, you know, um, um, the difficulties of plants closing and and layoffs, um, you know, and what it can do to an economy. I know a lot of young kids who come work for me for a summer or intern for me, you know, um, what it's going to be like when they get out of college and try to find that first job and all that stuff. Um, my heart goes out to um, young people kind of looking for their place in this economy right now because in my life, and I'm sure in yours, you know, we've never seen this sustained and difficult of a downturn. And you can lose the sense of how bad it really is by looking at big business, which seems to be doing well right now. Everybody else is struggling, and it, and, and, and it is difficult out there. But we'll talk a little bit in the next segment because both you and I have invested together in small business, and we know that we went through a tough financial crisis where there just wasn't the funding available for smaller companies. And most of the jobs that are created are certainly a handful of the jobs, big handful of the jobs created in, our, in, in America alone, come from small businesses. And so people really have to 
find their clarity in what they do. And, and, and we have to figure out how, as a government and as a people, we're going to be able to continue to encourage people and support them in their efforts to, to be what they want to be. I, I think you've done a wonderful job. We'll talk a lot about the next segment, uh, specifically about your movies, but just in entertaining people and, and, and in a lot of cases making them feel better about their own lives, and I, I commend you on that. You really have done that. I know my kids feel that way about your movies, and so do I. So, Thank you. You've, you've done a wonderful job. I, I want to also talk about the fact both you and, and I and our businesses have intern programs, and uh, my own son was fortunate enough to come and work for you, and in my, our businesses, we started an intern program with colleges and with high schools, and it's really been fabulous. So I, I commend you on that as well, too. Um, it's funny, but um, through my office, a lot of talented people pass. I've had a lot of young kids who started as my assistant um, who've gone on to produce movies or take executive jobs. Um, you know, you... You know, my father used to say to me, the history of business is young men taking over. Um, you know, people are not um, born to do the things they're going to do. Um, they develop the skills along the way, and they get put in the right situations where they learn how to figure out how to how to be in that industry or how to do that job. And look, you see a lot of bright young people coming through, and when they get a shot, um, you know, it's great to see a lot of them take advantage of it. Well, I agree. It's time for us to take a short break. It's, uh, this is Jimmy Gould with my special guest and dear friend John Davis. You're listening to A Current Life, brought to you by Smartwater, Wild Things Gear, and AdSpace Mall Networks. Uh, stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
you're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is Jimmy Gould with my special guest, John Davis. We're accepting live calls during this segment. The call-in number is one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. 472 John, you know, I think that it's clear from the almost 100 movies that you've been involved with that you've produced that you have a great eye and a sense of judgment with your work. Um, I think that probably there's been a few occasions where the critics have dismissed some of the films you produce and then they've turned out to be top-grossing films. What's your thought about that? Well, look, everybody wants to be loved, um, and sometimes you can be loved by the audience and the critics, and sometimes you can be loved by one or the other. Um, I make movies that tend to be pretty expensive. They're pretty big-budgeted movies, um, and um, the studios expect me to um, give them a return on their investment or they're not going to let me keep making movies. So part of what I need to do um, is make really broadly appealing movies, both domestically and internationally. Um, I like to make movies also that are smaller, that critics like, that have a real sense of interesting and intimate story and character. Um, but a lot of times those movies that critics really love, people don't go to see. So um, the best of all worlds is making you know, movies you love for yourself, and hopefully the critics like them too, but they really need to work commercially or you're not going to get to keep making them. You know, I, one of those films that I loved, and I think it was early on, I think in the early 90s, uh, 1993, when you did The Firm with Tom Cruise, what was that experience like for you? Um, it was really uh, pretty exciting because I found this book. John Grisham really wasn't a published author yet, Um Somebody slipped me the book over Christmas vacation, came off a fax machine. He hadn't, um, I think he had an agent, but he didn't have a publisher. And I read the script and I bought it on the spot. And before Christmas was over, I'd set it up at Paramount. Uh, nobody had a sense how popular that book was going to become or how big an author John Grisham was going to be. But it just climbed to the top of the bestseller list and just hung in and hung in and hung in. It was a chance to work with Sidney Pollack, who was a really great filmmaker and a wonderful person. It was fun making a movie with Tom Cruise, who was a big, big star at the time. Um, and I just, you know, it was I guess it was one of my first big hits. Well, it was a huge hit. It was a it was a big film, and it and it was uh, certainly one of Grisham's finest works. The, uh, did you get the galley of the book first, or how did yep, that go about? I got about? the galley. The galley was going around. He was looking for a publisher. Wow. Unbelievable. You know, you, do you think that still can happen today? Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. You know, it happens all the time. There's young authors all the time who have voices that nobody's heard, you know, and somebody reads and says, this is spectacular, um, you know, and then all of a sudden they've got a big publishing deal and, and, and they're doing their next book and their next book. Voices come from somewhere, um, just like filmmakers come from somewhere. You know, young people become directors because they love film and they go out and they do a little, you know, 15 or 20 minute short and they get people to see it and somebody sees their talent and somebody decides to take a shot and back them. 
I mean, you then talk about Garfield as an example. You couldn't find two different types of films. And so talk a little bit about that. Cause, when you know, my children were young and growing up, I started off making movies like The Predator and The Firm. Um, those were my first early movies. When my kids were growing up and we were watching movies together, and you know when your kids are four and five and six years old, you'll watch the same movie six and seven and eight times. For a period of time, I wanted to make movies that they wanted to see, that we could enjoy together. And so I did the Doolittles, I did the Garfields, you know, I did a bunch of my movies with Eddie Murphy, Daddy Daycare. Um, my children are now older. My youngest is 14, my oldest is 20, and they're into different kinds of films. And, you know, I've changed my style. I, I'm, I've Definitely the next group of movies I'm working on are very much more adult. Um, you know, they're old enough, they don't want to see those movies anymore, and you find yourself a period of time making movies for your family, making movies that they want to see. And so that was my period of my young kids growing up. Are, are they? Has your family been critical when you've made a film and just looked at you and go, Daddy, this just isn't going to work, or I, I don't like it, or just walked out of the theater and go, that's the greatest thing I've seen? I mean, how, how does that impact you? Well, two great stories. First time I ever made a movie, I took my mother to see it, she was very excited. Three minutes in, she was sleeping. So, you know, that happens. My children are really, really honest critics. They've seen a tremendous number of movies. They live in this community. They'll tell me when something's good, and they'll tell me when something's bad. They don't hold back. And well, by the way, I wouldn't expect them to, because the only way you can stay current, you know, is by being criticized and by seeing your movies with an audience that's how we actually test movies. We take movies out and we test them with audiences, and it guides the way we cut a movie and finish a movie and all that stuff. If you don't have the input of the people around you, um, you're going to become irrelevant pretty quickly because the business I'm in, the business we are in in this business is entertaining people and entertaining a large number of people, and what we do has to be entertaining. Isn't it wonderful with kids? Because I know when I started this show and we ran some of the promo spots and there was this photograph that was being used of me, which later has run in, in all the ad space malls across the country, 1,800 screens, and 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 uh, Andre Smith from the Cincinnati Bengals, who's about 24 years old, and, and Lucas, my son, who's 15, both told me they hated the picture. And I'd already done it and everything else, and they walked in and they said, you know, you look old, you look tired, you're working too hard, you need to take a vacation. And at first, it was like I got very defensive. And then I thought to myself, maybe I should go and reshoot the picture, which is what I what I actually did. I actually went and got a little bit of sun, and I actually reshot the picture. It actually felt better. But I don't know many people that would have said that. You know, I, I just, learned at a very young age that criticism can be very helpful, and that most people are defensive and don't want to hear it. But if you're willing to listen, it's a great way to figure out if the message is correct and and, and make improvements. Do you have trouble leaping from one genre to another? Nope. I love all kinds of movies. Um, I see all kinds of movies. Um, I love making movies in different genres. It's like stretching yourself. It's like if you get too good at doing one thing, you get lazy at it, and it becomes um, kind of rote. I love having to figure out how to do kids' movies and science fiction and how to do an action movie and a character piece. I, you know, it, that's what's exciting. It's 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 forcing yourself to figure out how to tell different kinds of stories. Well, for our listeners, you've worked with 
as you said, Eddie Murphy, Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Bill Cosby, Uma Thurman, Gene Hackman, Jim Carrey. I mean, so many huge movie stars. Is there one that stands out with you that just you just have such an incredible relationship with you want to continue to work with over and over? I assume it would be Eddie or or whom. And also, you know, has there been somebody that's particularly, you may not want to mention it, but it's given you a particularly tough time? Um, you know, I guess we all love movie stars, right? Or those of us who grew up in the Midwest um, watching them on the, on the weekends, right? Right. I find them fascinating, interesting people. They're very talented, a lot of the people I've worked with. And they're also human beings at, at their heart. And they're also afraid, like we're afraid, that the next movie's not going to work and, and, and that could dent their career. And they're, they all hear footsteps um, and they all hear, you know, how how much... Um, people love them. It's a very tough position to be in. You know, I've enjoyed working with every single movie star I've worked with. I find them all fascinating, interesting people. Arnold Schwarzenegger early in my life, um, you know, in my in my movie producing career, it was a lot of fun to be around and hang out with. There's always something funny going on with him, and, and, and there was a lot of fun around him. I found Jack Black in a movie we made last year to be a funny, sincere, sweet person. Um, I've always loved Eddie Murphy because I make him laugh, right? How great is that, right? Um, and, and, and I find him shy, but a wonderful individual. Um, you know, when you get to spend time with these people, they all had hopes, dreams, and aspirations. They succeeded beyond their wildest ambition. Um, they have fears. They, they're people, and, and, and they're talented, and they're happy, and they're scared, and they're entertaining, and they have families, and um, you know they're just kind of on a pedestal, and 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 because of that, they feel people are always watching. Well, we have a caller. Uh, I think it's Craig from Ohio. So, Craig, are you on? Yes, I am. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, Jimmy, uh, I know that you uh, yourself believe in being a contrarian, and I was curious how uh, John um, and you both would define being contrarian and also how spirituality has played um, in your careers. Well, John, why don't you take that one on first? <laughs> um, okay, well, I think um, being a contrarian is, is probably important because, especially if, if you're investing, right, if you do what everybody else is doing, um, then you're not going to do as well as uh, um, some of the people who have done really great, right, because if you follow the herd, you're going to follow them, you know, into the ground. Right. Um, so I, I think you've got to be a bit of a maverick in a smart way. Um, you can't be contrarian to be contrarian. But I think the success in the movie business or in investing or anything else is dropping one level down and saying, if everybody's thinking a certain way, is that right? And how might there be an opportunity by thinking a different way? In terms of the spirituality, um, my movies have always been about something. I've celebrated the human spirit. They celebrated people who um, are individuals in tough situations who somehow prevail, um, you know. And and I, you know, believe very much in the soul, and I believe that um, you know your movies have to have that. And I think that when you operate in life, you have to emanate goodness. Um, I, I was told a long time ago by um, a really, 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 really great filmmaker um, that you have a responsibility when you have the attention of people in a dark room for an hour and a half, because they're going to sit there and look at that screen and you're going to be saying a lot of things to them. 
And never in life do people stare at a screen without saying anything as like they do in a movie and you have their complete attention. And that you have the importance of a message to deliver to them. And I take that seriously. Well, I'll, I'll only say that, first of all, everything that John just said, I agree with. And, and I believe you've got to challenge the mainstream. And everything kind of emanates from the soul. And you have to believe in yourself and you have to go, you know, and kind of live out loud, as uh, a friend of mine says. So, um, Craig, I appreciate your calling and uh, I look forward to you listening to our future shows. Um, John, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jimmy Gould with my special guest, John Davis. You're listening to A Current Life, uh, brought to you by Smart Water, Wild Things Gear, and Ad Space Mall Network. Stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. At Wild Things, we've been making alpine clothing and packs right here in the USA since 1981. In fact... We began by stitching together extremely light climbing gear that guys on the mountain were trying to make on their own. It was a big deal in 1981, making Wild Things the gear of choice for some of the world's most demanding alpine climbers. Of course, the climbs and the climbers are now the stuff of legend. Inspiration for the next group to realize the freedom of moving over rock and ice in a fast and light way. The rest, three decades of elation, Misery, epics, and near misses, we put back into everything we make. Light, durable, functional, packable. Wild Things Gear is made and tested by those who live in it. Available exclusively at wildthingsgear.com. Stay wild. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Uh, welcome back to uh, our next segment of A Current Life. I'm here with my special guest, John Davis of Davis Entertainment. Uh, actually, we'll start off with a call. We have Mackie calling from Chicago, Illinois. So, Mackie, you on the line? Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Uh, doing great. Do you have a question for John Davis? I do. I do. Um, I saw the movie, actually, and um, my mom and I saw it together. And 
we had a conversation afterwards about um, kind of like I was struggling with the idea of these women kind of seducing the rich man as opposed to in other movies that we see. Um, sometimes it tends to be uh, to not work out so well. I'm wondering if uh, you would consider making other movies like this and it's what are the reactions from like your female audience about the way um, what your female characters um, kind of go about their business. And which movie are you talking about? Oh, Heartbreakers. I'm sorry. Oh, Heartbreakers. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I love making um, movies with and about women, and I love mm-hmm. making movies that appeal to women. Um, and that marketplace has really, really expanded in the last number of years. Mothers and daughters are going to movies, and women are going together. Um, and and so, um, you know, I just, uh, I've got a project I'm working on now, a book I bought, 29. It's about a um, 75-year-old woman who gets a chance to be um, 29 again for a day. Um, you know, and, and it's just a fascinating book, and it's a great script, I think, that we're going to have and all that stuff. So, look, I wish I could do more of that. Yes, I agree. I think you should. Well, I appreciate your your call, Mackie, and I uh, hope you'll continue to listen to A Current Life. Uh, John, um, is there somebody you haven't worked with that is kind of on your wish list that you're really looking forward to working with in the future? Somebody I haven't worked with. Um, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of movie stars. People you've mentioned, I've been able to work with Angela Jolie, um, you know, um, boy, I have to scratch my head on that one. I've been so, so, so fortunate to basically work with, you know, 15 or 20 major movie stars. Um, but there are new movie stars and great actors coming up all the time. And there'll be people that be fascinating to me and, um, you know, that I'm going to want to work with. Um, and it's exciting kind of just new, fresh talent that comes into the business. You know, I, I had the chance to visit the set with you, and I watched you in action, and, and we've also invested in, in a company or two together, and uh, I got to know you on a lot of different levels. Not only are you brilliant in how you look at things, but just the comfort level you created with the stars and with the people on the set was really remarkable. I think I spent about 15 minutes shooting baskets with you and and just kind of hanging out, and you really had a sense of, of what was going on, and everybody had a great deal of trust and faith in, in your leadership. And I think that it, when looked at, I, I think sometimes, I know having spent some time in the movie business, about 10 years, on more of an art house level, you know, I, I sometimes get the feeling that not everybody really understands what goes into a movie when they're sitting in the movie theater. I mean, it is a, a, an incredible amount of moving parts coming together perfectly. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that process, about just all how long it takes and, and all the moving parts and how you have to have everything just right and that the timing of everything, how it has to come together. Well, well first of all, um, the reason I'm comfortable on a set is we become a family, and they call them 10 plus 2 families. You make a movie um, for 10 weeks or 12 weeks or, or however long it takes the movie to make the movie, all these people working together, the crew, the cast, um, the director, you're all working closely together, and it's kind of fascinating how close everybody becomes. 
um, and it's like your family, and, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, after 12 weeks, everybody goes their own way. And so it's kind of a weird phenomenon like that. Um, you know, in terms of putting a movie together, um, you know, it starts with an idea, and then that idea has to be written by a writer, and you work with a writer, and when it's ready, you go and you find a director, and 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 with that director, you cast a movie, you look for the right cast to put together. You never seemingly get the exact right cast you want, but a lot of times you can do pretty well, and there's a chemistry that develops. And then you shoot the movie, and then after you shoot the movie, there's a period of time for three or four months, even longer now because visual effects are such an important part of so many movies people go see. You edit and, and, and test the movie with audiences, and you edit and refine, and you have a composer, and you, and you score the movie, and then it's the marketing of the movie. Because now your challenge is you have to sell people something they know nothing about, and typically you have 10 days to do that. Typically, you really start advertising heavily 10 days to two weeks before a movie opens. And so it becomes about, are your TV commercials landing? Are they telling people what the movie's about? Are they reaching uh, your demographics? Are they reaching men and women, young and old? Or is your movie specifically going to be about a certain age group? And, and, And how are you targeting them? Are you getting there? And then it all happens on a Friday. Because on that Friday, the movie opens, you pretty much know if it's worked or didn't work and how you're going to do. And Is it true you know by day. 1 o'clock in the afternoon whether it's going to work or not? No, I, you know you know late Friday night. You have to see what happens, those those late matinees, um, you know, but, uh, um, you know, probably 10, 12 o'clock, um, you know, West Coast time, you have a really good sense of how you're going to do. Well, we have a call. Uh, this is a unique show. It goes into 187 countries. And we have our uh, caller, Luke, from London. And it's late in London, but Luke, welcome to A Current Life. Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Um, I Thank have you for a calling. Question. I have a question for uh, John. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, can I just say your movies are amazing, and um, I'm currently trying to work through the title that you've actually produced. My question is, you've spoken about the... Um, me, but um, across the nation, and it being okay in New York and LA. But what would advice would you give to a young person who's trying to break into the industry but lives internationally? Um, well, um, first of all, I made a movie in London last year, and what a great place to live and make a movie in Pinewood Studios. Great facility. Um, there are a lot of movies that shoot in London. Um, and especially because movies now move around the world based on um, tax incentives. Um, and, and, you know, the English tax incentives have been great, and so a lot of American movies have been going there. Um, you know, movies um, are made in all kinds of, of forms and shapes and in different countries and all that stuff. Um, there's, there hasn't been a lot of, of homegrown movies in London um, um, traditionally, but there are some. Um, there's a lot of British people living in L.A., and they've moved here to, um, you know, get into the business from, from the American perspective. Um, yeah. But more and more the film business is becoming international business, and a lot of markets now are making movies that do really well in those markets. Um, so, you know, it just depends on what kind of movies you want to make, where you should be. Well, okay. Luke, I appreciate your call from London. It, it's late there, and uh, I appreciate your calling, and I hope you'll continue to listen to the show. 
Um, John, one of the things that just absolutely hit me when we did all of our research was your love of animals, aside from the human talent you've worked with, you've also cast live animals in your films, Mr. Popper's Penguins, uh, the live penguins. Um, in fact, I hear, I hear that you even built a place for them to live on the set in New York City. And also, I've worked with lions, tigers, and bears. <laughs> I actually heard you cast and had to interview the grizzly bear for Doctor Doolittle. Is I did. That, that was very interesting. Um, there were four or five different bears, and 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 bear trainers are very important. Um, because they've trained their bears to do various and different things that may or may not work for you in the movie and all that stuff. So I had a sound stage on the Fox lot, and different bears came in and interviewed. Um, and I was in the middle of a sound stage, and, and what I didn't realize, you know, it was a long way from the middle of that sound stage to an exit door. And, you know, I could have been eaten at any point in time by any of those bears. The trainers kept saying, don't worry, our bears are so you know beautifully trained and they're just sweet and wonderful creatures um you know but uh um you know wild animals once in a while eat people but uh um we found a really great bear and you know it's fun working with tigers the penguins were great on doctor on uh mr popper's penguins um because penguins are just so adorable i think that's why people love them we built our own habitat while we were shooting the movie in brooklyn next to the sound stage and um you know, kept the stage and their habitat down to 30 degrees, which was pretty much ideal for them. They had their own little swimming pool and area and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I just love animals. And I and, and trained, um, you know, animals can give you great, great performance in movies. It's all about the quality of the trainers. What what could you tell a distinct difference between the different grizzly bears? When oh, I, yeah. When you, when you interview Well, look, them? first of all, they look different, right? So you pick, right. you know, one that looks Right. And then, you know, we had Tank the Bear we ultimately hired. Um and and Tank had a great trainer and the trainer was able to um get Tank to do incredible things. Well how how's the technology kind of affected your career? I mean with everything going on and and particularly three D technology in the theaters, are you a big fan of that? Do you see yourself getting involved in that or just some of your thoughts on that? Um well Technology is really fantastic because look what we can do with visual effects now. Um, you know, and most movies now have some visual effects element, and you can do dazzling things. And the technology keeps getting better and better because the whole thing there is when you see the movie, does everything look real? Because that's the standard. You gotta forget you're seeing a movie; it's gotta look real. And if your eye ever says to you, "That's a visual effect," or "That isn't quite right," or "I don't know if I completely believe that," then you failed. Um, you know. It's just getting great, that technology. Um, you know, the other thing is 3D. Um, if it's not overused, it can be great. But when you start making movies and just making them in 3D because you think you're going to do better because of it and the idea of the movie isn't right for 3D, you know, then it's like you're abusing 3D and it's not going to work much longer. I've been through three generations of 3D. Three different times it got really, 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 you know, um, um, hot with audiences and three times it petered out because people overused it. It's bigger now foreign than it is domestic. Foreign markets still really love it. But domestic markets are starting to get a little tired of 3D. And so it's got to be the right movie or the audience just kind of feels like, um, you know, you're playing them. 
Well, I appreciate uh, we're going to take another commercial break, and then uh, we're with John Davis from Davis Entertainment. And uh, this is Jimmy Gould, and welcome to A Current Life, and we'll be back with you in a minute. Thank you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You were born a visionary. How do you get closer to your personal vision? Tune in to Visionary Radio with Giselle. Our program is all about evidence-based positive change. Giselle and her guests will bring you stories of positive visions achieved, hope and renewal designed to inspire you in ways that matter in your life, in ways that last and bring you closer to who and where you want to be. This program is for and about real people, and we want you to be a part of it, too. Tune in to Visionary Radio with Giselle every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. With today's outside pressures and current realities, many of us are feeling a loss of control and freedom concerning our lives, business, and where we stand in society. But that can change. Tune in to The Power of the Human Connection with Chris Schultenover. Through the art of storytelling in authentic human terms, we lead you to true and honest realizations and collaborations to better your life and the lives of others. The Power of the Human Connection is heard live Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. I'm here with my special guest and dear friend, John Davis of Davis Entertainment. John, this segment we always call the meaning of life. And what we try to do in talking about the journey is talk about the balance of professional and personal life and also some of the things that people have to adjust to as they try to, you know, find whatever they call their success in their life, which you've talked about the spiritual part, uh, as well as how to look at things differently than the mainstream. How do you manage your time so well. I mean, you work on multiple films at the same time. You have an incredible family, your wife, Jordan, your children. And how do you find the balance? And what advice can you give to people who are trying to balance their family, their life and their family, their family life and their work? Um, well, the first thing I would say, I had so many people that said to me that their biggest failing in life, no matter how successful they were, is they were never there when their kids were growing up. And they never had that relationship with their kids because of it. So um, fortunately, I didn't make that mistake, and I had been warned by it. So I think the first thing is, is you know, you got to make sure when your kids are young and they're growing up that you're there, because you're never going to get that opportunity again. And I can promise you, if you're not, you're not going to have the relationship later in life you want with them. And so I think that's got to become the organizing principle of your career and your life. Secondly, in terms of the movies, um, you know, I, I'm really an efficient worker. I'm an efficient communicator, I believe. 
Um, you know, I remember when I went to Harvard Business School and we took a writing course with John Kenneth Galbraith. The whole point of that course was how do you communicate in the least number of words what you want to say? Efficiency of communication. And um, I'm a really good communicator. And when I take meetings, they're to the point and they don't last any longer than they have to. Um, and, and it's helped me organize my, my working style and I can get a lot of stuff done that way. The other thing is have a good staff around you and never be afraid to delegate. Um, because if you're afraid to delegate, it means you haven't done a good job staffing your, 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 your company. Hire smarter people. Why not? Yeah. And if you're afraid to delegate to them, then you didn't do a very good job with your hires. But when you went over to London, you were telling Luke, when you went over to London, were you able to take your family with you for part of that time so you could spend time together? I was. They came over with me in the beginning, and it was really fun and exciting. When my kids were really young, they went on location with me everywhere I went. It became more difficult when they were in school, um, you know, and and a lot of times I was able to shoot certain movies in the summer when they could come. But, you know, when I was in London, they came with me for a week, and then I was there for another five weeks without them, and then, you know, um, I, I came back. But, you know, um, I've got people in my company who can come on the set also, um, and so we can relieve each other. They can spell me or vice versa. Um, but the organizing principle of my life is, is you know, you got to be a father first. Well, you, you've done a remarkable job of that. I can tell when we spend time together, your focus is on your core values, and, and that's what I admired most, and that's what I think is the basis of our friendship. Who do you think were your greatest influencers? Uh, there may be one or many. I know all, uh, in, in my life, obviously, I had some mentors and different people, but who would you say were your greatest influencers? How did they help you develop into the kind of person you are today? Well, it's funny. There was a fellow named Bill Daniels, when I was growing up, I said I was always interested in sports. And he was in Denver, and he was considered the father of the cable TV business. And he offered me my first job coming out of graduate school was to start with him, um, Prime Sports Network, which became, um, you know, the Fox Sports Network. And it was this whole idea that he had that I bought into that regional sports networks could um, um, thrive in this country. Um, And he was a really interesting guy in that he was so passionate and, and at the same time such a human being. And I guess what I really admired about him is he made a billion dollars in his life and gave it all away to charity. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, every once in a while on a show like this, and it's great owning your own show, uh, you just hit a core part of me. Cause, and you don't even know this, but one of my biggest influencers in my life was Bill Daniels. Uh, I spent three years around a table with him and building the United States Football League. And Bill was a remarkable, he had a huge soul, he had a huge fight in him, and it was really, he was the father of cable television. I mean, he was the, the man. And he used to sit with me, we would literally spend almost every month or so, dinner, lunch, whatever, talking about life and talking about the business and we of course were at that time taking on the nfl and he was a partner in that and he was a remarkable man i I don't know how long it's been that he's passed away but the uh what an incredible influencer he was as well in my life and uh and what a great man exactly the uh would you say that as you went through you know your growing up days and, and and going on and knowing what you were doing that you developed other 
as you were developing other relationships, you also developed other interests. And I know you went on and invested in private equity and, in particular, uh, uh, started building companies. And and you want to talk a little bit about that? Because... Well, there are two things in particular that I did that I really loved. Um, one is I've, I, I owned TV stations for 25 years now. Um, my last group of TV stations, so I basically started from scratch and got a construction permit and actually put them up in the markets they were in. And I always found, um, you know, running TV stations fascinating. You know, you're doing local news. It's kind of like casting a movie. You bring a, um, you know, your your news group together. Um, you have a real local, you know, community identification. Um, you know, and a lot of your decisions aren't that difficult because if you're affiliated with the network, you know, you know what you're gonna what you're gonna be carrying. Um, and then I love doing Wetzel's Pretzels, which um, was a chain that we got into when they had four stores, and we got out of the business. They had 285, um, and it was a group of guys who left Nestle's and started this 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 little company. Um, and I used to go to the test kitchens with them, and and they concoct new and different kinds of pretzels. And it was just I loved those pretzels. It was fun seeing the company grow. Um, and, and that was a great experience. Well, uh, I think uh, probably everybody's had one, and I know I eat them when I'm in the airports and stuff like that. We have a, just a, a few seconds left, but I want to ask you, and I've asked all of our previous guests, as you look back on your journey, what do you feel is the meaning of life? Um, I feel it's your family and finding, you know, your soul. And you can do that in ways that challenge you but also commit you to the core values that you've developed along the way, right? I think you can do that by listening to yourself. Uh, well, I, I, I've often referred to that as the intuition that spiritually we're given, and it's been uh, an honor to have you today. It's been an honor to be your friend and to watch your career and to be a partner with you and and do different things and and to watch how you committed you are to your family you've given us valuable time of yours today and you know I want to thank you for that uh, it's been very special to me well thank you for having me on board and uh, I'd like to thank uh, our listeners for tuning in to a current life on the Voice America Variety Channel I'm Jimmy Gould, and and, uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, due to the Thanksgiving holiday, we will be airing a rerun of Nicholas Sparks' episode from October. Uh, Then the following week, Friday, December 2nd, we will have General Hugh Shelton on the show. General Shelton is a famous war hero, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, under both Presidents Clinton and Bush and during 9-11, and one of the leading military figures of our time. I want to thank John Davis for sharing his life with us, his journey with us, and for our listeners who continue to listen to A Current Life, and our sponsors, Smart Water, Ad Space Mall Networks, and Wild Things. Until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success, and God bless. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week.